A minister stood one Sunday with an announcement for his congregation. I've got good news and bad news, he said. The good news is we have enough money to pay for our new building. The bad news is it's still in our pockets. This week I'm finishing up a series on paradoxes in the Bible. We've been talking also about our capital campaign. We've got a congregational meeting today. And uh, it just so happens that the paradox I picked has to do with giving and receiving. And I thought, as I looked at this text this week, maybe I wanted to change it, that I didn't want to talk about this, um, but decided in the end that this was a, a good and appropriate moment for us to reflect on giving, not just the finances, but what do we do with our talents and what do we do with our uh, time and, and how do we steward our lives? Because I think for Paul... Those things reflect our view of God. So before I read the text, let me give a, a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul was a Jew who had been persecuting the Christians before God saved him. And when Paul got saved, he started preaching and traveling around. And he would go to a town and he would go to the temple and he would teach there. But he was normally rejected there. Uh, and so when he got rejected at the temple, he would then move outside of the temple to the Gentiles, people who are not Jewish in the community, and had much more effect there. And so uh, everywhere Paul went, he started these little churches, these little home communities that then uh, became churches. And he would go from place to place to place, and the Gentiles were being saved. But the Jews were having a problem with this. First of all, they were having a problem with with Paul going to the Gentiles like he was, and then he wasn't a disciple, right? He, he was somebody who persecuted Christians, so the Jews did not really trust him, the Jewish Christians. And um, he also had some different views about whether people who were Gentile and became Christians had to be Jewish or not. So he had to go before the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and give an account for what he was doing. And... and um, uh, had to say what he was doing and describe why he believed the things that he did. And then they eventually gave their blessing to him, especially because Peter had a dream that sort of opened up the faith to the Gentiles. The one thing that Paul worked out with those Jewish Christians was that he was going to collect money to help support the mother church in Jerusalem, which is at, by this time very, very persecuted. Very, very persecuted. They have nothing. They don't have jobs uh, because no one will hire them. No one will hire out their work. They are in serious trouble, in serious lack. A lot of the men who have stood up for Christ have been killed at this point. And so you have a lot more widows. You have a lot more children to take care of. And Paul was happy to do this. So wherever Paul would travel and he would write all his churches that he was starting, he would say, okay, we're going to give this donation back to Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, at the end of the book of Romans, uh, in Romans, Paul is in prison writing, but he says that he was arrested on his way back to give that. So we know Paul really stuck with that, stuck with that commitment. But the church at Corinth, when Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians, have not given their gift. Okay, they haven't given to this big collection that Paul's trying to put together for the church of Jerusalem. And Paul spends some time in this letter. In fact, 2 Corinthians is likely a series of letters that are sort of combined into one book. But he spends chapter 8 and chapter 9 really talking to them about this gift and why it's so important. For Paul, there's the saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
For Paul, out of the abundance of the heart, the wallet speaks. And Paul is really concerned with what this gift is, or this lack of gift is saying about the Corinthians. So Paul writes them, trying to help them understand why they ought to give this gift. And he kind of sums up that argument in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. The, and here's the text. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way that through us, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is the overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel in Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. We are not told why the Corinthians aren't giving their gift. text never really says that. But I think from our experience, we can sort of suggest maybe why they might not want to give this gift to Jerusalem. First of all, wealth is security, right? Money in the bank is security. It's easy for us to want to keep our money and our bank accounts and hang on to our credit cards just in case. It's easy for us to not be generous to others because we might need the money for ourselves. This is the same reason why we can't throw stuff away, right? We might need it someday. We like the security of our stuff and the security of our finances around us. Maybe that's going on for Corinth. I wonder if Corinth is also like our society where wealth means notoriety. It used to be that people were known for their accomplishments. We looked up to scientists, to Nobel Prize winners, to Neil Armstrong, to authors. Now we seem to look up to people who have accomplishments as long as one of those accomplishments is making a lot of money, right? It kind of has to go along with that. They may also have accomplished something, but the money has to be part of it, right? Isn't that... Funny, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, We look at these athletes and we're impressed with these athletes. But we're also also impressed with the success that they've had. We're only a couple weeks away from the Academy Award. I mean, think about it. All the people that we elevate as really important in our society have financial wealth. Okay? They just do. People like Mother Teresa being respected are are not the norm. Okay? They are the outlier. Maybe Corinth... Is like this. They want the reputation. They want to have a nice church building and they want to have funds. They don't want to really share that. Maybe Corinth wants the security. But either way, we can kind of understand the dilemma that they're in. 
The problem is bigger than finances, right? And when we talk about stewardship in the church, often we talk about the three T's. Time, talent, or your gifts and abilities, and treasure, your finances, your money. I wonder if we maybe need to add a fourth T and talk about technology. I'm convinced that we as Christians are really poor at stewarding technology for God's glory. But, but we have these other things in our lives that we steward. In other words, we take care of because we understand that they're gods and they give them to us and we run out of them. Okay? Uh, if you want to prove this, think about how we talk about these other things. We often talk about them in financial terms. Like money or, or time is often talked about like it's money. How many of you have heard, you've heard these phrases? Spending time, wasting time. Buying time, saving time, investing time, budgeting time. The number one metaphor that we use for time is money. In fact, we say that. Time is money. And for a lot of us, we're out of time, right? We talk about time like money. We do that with our abilities, too. Have you invested in your abilities? Are you wasting your talents or your gifts? See, our time and our, and our abilities, they're just like money. And we, we tend to instead of taking care of them and being generous with them, we tend to keep them for ourselves and not really share them with other people. Paul goes at this, though, because for Paul, it's not just about the gift of Jerusalem. It's not just about time. It's not just about abilities. It's ultimately about your theology. It's ultimately about your view of God. And so Paul uses the metaphor of sowing seed. Now, um, none of us have probably sowed seed, or if you have, you probably used a tractor or I did it in a very small patch. But imagine you're a farmer in the first century and you've got to sow a field, like a big field, right? There's no tractor. You know what you got to do? You got to walk around with seed. You got to actually put it. Some seed has to be buried. So you know what you got to do with that seed? You got to put it in the dirt and you got to push it down. Imagine planting an entire field like that. Okay, this is a metaphor. It doesn't click with us the same way. But if you're in the first century, you see this all the time. You see people sowing. You've spent three days sowing your field. You know exactly what this is talking about. For Paul, giving of your time, your talent, your resources is like sowing seed. In fact, we talk about seed money and investing, don't we? Sowing seed. And what he says is in order to reap, in order to get back, you've got to sow. Okay, if you're stingy with your seed, you hold it back. You're not going to get as much produced in your life. You're just not going to. You want a good crop? You got to be generous. You got to blow your seed. You can't save your seed for any day. It'll cost you in the end. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. Paul takes it one step forward and says the two are related. If you want to receive, you've got to give. And this is totally different than what our culture says. Our culture says if you want to receive, you know what you got to do? Take. Okay, if you want to receive in our culture, you got to take what's yours. You got to take what's coming to you, even at the expense of other people sometimes. You got to get what's coming to you. But the paradox of the Bible is that for in God's economy, you want to receive, you give. You want to receive, you give. Now, not just any giving. Paul is clear here that there's a couple of, of things you got to understand about giving. If you're going to spend your money, or if you're going to give of your time, you're going to use your gifts, you got to know a couple of things. Number one, you can't be a reluctant giver. Have you ever received a gift reluctantly? Like somebody gave you something and you could tell they didn't really want to give it to you? 
Okay? Like grandparents are notorious for this. Like they want you to have it, but they don't really want it to leave their house, right? There's, there's no, that's not a kind gift, is it? You feel awkward about that gift, okay? That gift doesn't create anything except awkwardness. That's giving so you will receive, and it doesn't work that way. It sours the gift. We need to, as Paul says, be cheerful givers. Second, it can't be forced giving. It can't be giving out of guilt. Being cheerful means giving when you're not forced to. You're never cheerful about being forced to do something, right? I've got a 10-year-old. I'm telling you. You're never cheerful about being forced to do something. You've got to want to do it. Um, you can't give of your time out of arm twisting. You can't use your gifts out of being forced or out of guilt. It just doesn't work in God's kingdom. Third, and Paul doesn't spell this out, but I think underlying his argument is that you can't give to manipulate God. I, I'm amazed how many people actually do this. They, it may, and you may have heard testimonies of people that said, I started giving to God 10% of my giving, uh, and then all of a sudden God gave me this huge deal in my business, and God started really blessing my life. And listen, I don't think that's what this text says at all. The fact that, you, that God says, if you want to, get, to receive, you've got to give, I, I tell you, you don't receive the same thing that you give. Okay? Your giving is never an investment in God. It's never a way to manipulate God to ultimately get what you want. Okay, if I invest my time in this and my sacrifice for this, maybe God will give me what I want. Or I've, I've been around people who have talked to me and said they're really mad at God because something bad happened in their life. And they say, but I've been a good person and I've gone to church and, I, and I've tried to really do great things in my life. And it's like, well... Did you think that was going to make things all better for you? That, that's a manipulation of God. Okay, that's an investment in God. Actually, it's an investment in yourself. That's, that's not cheerful giving. That does not work in God's kingdom. On the other hand, I've also talked to Christians who thinks that we should be purposefully poor. Like, I don't have anything, so I don't give anything because that's just where God has me. And I think, well, that's not quite what God's saying either, right? I find a lot of Christians use this, and it's really just laziness or undisciplined, uh, living an undisciplined life. I got nothing to give to God. Well, it's because you're not careful. It's not, you're not careful with what God gives you. You're not careful with your time. You don't develop your gifts. So I'm not sure that works either. No, for, for Paul, you're supposed to be a cheerful giver. And the cheerful giving is based ultimately in your view of God. Is God truly stingy with his grace? Or is he abundant in how much he gives you grace? Does God care for us and provide for us and take care of us? The Bible says he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. You don't think maybe God knows how you're doing? Or is our view that God has left us, that God has forsaken us, that God will not give us what we need? Now listen, God will not give you always what you want. But he will take care of you and he will give you what you need. And there's sometimes a difference. For Paul, it's clear. We received first. God gave his, what Paul calls, surpassing grace. Or Paul calls it an inexpressible gift. I can't even describe to you 
the, the depths of God's love for you and God's grace for you. I can't even give it words. It's inexpressible. I try. Our hymns try. Our praise songs try. We try to remember it at communion, but it ultimately it's inexpressible. I can't even get to the bottom of it. That God loves you that much. So when we give, I tell you what, Paul's perspective, we already received. We've already received everything. In fact, listen to the universal words that Paul uses for this. Let me read just a piece. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. You think Paul means all there? He says it like five times. All, all the time, all things. Here's what Paul's saying. God's grace is so big and so unleashed in your life that you have everything you need at all times for everything that you face. There's never going to be a time where God calls you to do some kind of good work where he hasn't equipped you to do it. Now, maybe you need support of others. Maybe God's got to really come through for you. But there should never be a time when you say to God, no, I can't afford to give my time to that right now, even though you're calling me to do it. No, I cannot. I can't give financially to that right now, even though I feel you're calling me to do it. No, I can't. I can't use my gifts in that way, even though I feel you're calling me to do it. If God's calling you to do it, he's sufficient enough to give you everything you need to pull off what his will is for your life. You've already received from God this grace. And maybe that's the enrichment that Paul's talking about that you receive when you give. See, something happens when you start to really give your life over to Christ. You start to see Christ all over the place. Start to see him at work in your life. Start to see all these good works he has for you to do. Start to see that he is sufficient for you. That when you run out of energy, you've got nothing left and God calls you to do something. He gives you the strength. And your life is enriched because you, all of a sudden you get this real feeling like God is there, really there. For Paul, ministry is always two things. It's always supplying the needs of others, the needs of the saints, but it's also always gratitude, or what Paul calls overflowing thanksgiving. You and I are called as Christians to do two things, according to the Apostle Paul, to fill needs of people, and to be overly gratifying. I mean, to, to be so thankful of God that it shines through in everything. That's the mystery. That's the paradox that we give because we've received so much. It's natural to worry about others, or worry about ourselves, to surround ourselves with stuff, to cling to paychecks, to be stingy with our time, to not let ourselves be in new relationships. Why meet new people? It takes so much work. But maybe that's exactly what God is calling us to do. To take our lives, our money, our possessions, our time, our abilities, our families, our jobs, and glorify him in them. And how we take care of those things expresses to the world around us how we ultimately view God. Is God abundant and graceful or is God stingy and selfish himself? Okay? If we look at how you're spending your time, your talent, and your treasure, we're going to get a pretty good understanding of how you actually view God. And I'm telling you, the God of the Bible is much more gracious and loving than any of us think. So give your time. Give your gifts. Give your abilities, your passions. Give cheerfully. Give abundantly. Give out of gratitude. And watch what God does. 
to multiply it and to sustain you even more. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry that we give so often to control you instead of out of gratitude. Help us. Help us to change how we live, how we steward our time, talent, our treasure, and our technology so that every area of our life would glorify you and would show your abundant grace to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.